0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another podcast. I'm your host, Max Shannon. Today, I'm delighted to be joined with Paul Quatricasas, the founder and CEO of Partners. Prior to Partners, Paul was also the founder and partner of Allegro Capital between 2003 and 2010. And prior to Allegro, Paul was also the founder and managing director of ARC Associates between 1993 and 2003. Paul has directly or indirectly completed over 40 M&A transactions around the world worth over $6 billion and over 50 corporate finance, advisory and strategic consultancy assignments. He has directly or indirectly originated and structured over 15 private placements of equity capital raising over $500 million. And he's also directed the ARC Investment Program and achieved a historical professional investment track record over 50% IRR from 1994 to 2000. And finally, Paul holds an MBA from Columbia University, where he was awarded the Roswell McCrea Scholarship and a BA from Wake Forest University. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, firstly, can you just explain what AquaPartners is and what it does?
1: Sure. Thanks, Max. Thanks for having me. Um, Uncle Partners is a corporate finance advisor, M&A advisor, focused on the TMT, or technology, media, telecoms industries. And uh, it's something we've been doing for a very, very long time. And uh, if you're familiar with the tech markets at all, then you'll know we're probably uh, very busy, uh, very busy these days.
0: Yeah, so... Um... Can you explain, kind of, you know, what it was like building an M and A and strategic advisory firm from the ground up?
1: Well, in my case, it would go back to the first firm that I co-founded with a partner back in 1993, called Arc Associates, A R C Associates, and uh, it was pretty much as you would expect an entrepreneurial experience to be. It was fun and exciting. It was scary. Uh, it was a challenge. It was hard work, and it was um, probably more than anything a lot of fun um, when I look back on it. And it was quite different from setting up Aqua Partners, which I did in 2010, because at that point I already had many relationships, clients, former clients, um, had staff, a team, and and wasn't quite the same as starting it from scratch back in '93. So whenever you start anything from scratch, um, as we did, you should have, I would say, you know, if people are interested in advice or guidance on this, one thing that you can anchor onto. And ideally, that anchor should be a customer or a client. And that was the case with us back in 1993. We had ICL Fujitsu uh, as a client who had done work with us you know, over the previous two years, and they said they would sponsor us. To spin out our own firm back in 93 with just one small project but that's all we needed you know all we needed was one project to sink our teeth into um and we were off and running it was very exciting
0: okay um i know that aqua partners uh and yourself have a few trademarked sayings um can you explain what your techquisition method is alongside your chalk talk script uh for a bleed free acquisition as you said <laughs> yeah you must have read the book or something huh no <laughs> so, uh
1: techquisition really just refers, we call it the science of technology company acquisitions. It refers to a methodology, a very disciplined 12-step methodology that allows a large incumbent or mid sized incumbent traditional company to feel highly confident that it can manage what would otherwise seem to be a very scary thing, i.e. acquiring or making a major investment into a technology company or a digital company um, uh, successful uh, while along the way, uh, in terms of this during a 12-step process, while reducing the risk of it going wrong and increasing the probability of the value going up. That's, that's the whole idea, because as the world now finds that most industries are being digitized and are going tech there are many more incumbents who are waking up realizing that they can't do it all themselves, or maybe they, they think they can, but they they just want to be sure that they will end up ahead. And, and to be sure one's going to end up ahead, you want to have all options on the table. You want to be able to execute um, many of those options. And so acquisition or tech position is one of those. And um, yeah, I would say, I forgot the original question you were asking, but that's, that's the essence of it, is uh, is to help the incumbent traditional companies who feel the risk of being disrupted in one form or another in terms of their existing market share, or existing products being disrupted in, in, in one form or another, having a new uh, you know, a new strategic tool that they can execute and create more value, we believe, than from almost anything else they could possibly do as a company, which is a bold statement. But We've seen it happen in many occasions, and are helping companies today to
0: do this. Okay, one of uh, I read one of your report, uh, reports on your website. It was to do with alternative proteins. I was just wondering what the what you think the opportunities are and challenges are for lab grown uh, seafood.
1: Well, uh, that's one of the most exciting areas for for me personally in terms of let me just give you the, the headline, then I'll come down to specific lab seafood or fish question. Uh, food is so important for the human race, not just because of starvation or cost, but if we humans eat pure food, we are much more likely to uh, be healthy, to not experience uh, heart disease, stroke, cancer, etc. I mean, this has all been proven that, uh, the better that humans eat, and and I don't just mean organic, but I mean pure food, uh, the healthier we're going to be. So it means ultimately the more that a civilization and community and nation eats pure food, uh, the higher probability that healthcare costs will come down. That's relevant for the UK because the cost of the NHS has to be one of the greatest challenges this country faces. I'd say that's equally true in the US, North America, or at least in the US where there are uh, very, very high uh, health cost, and especially with insurance. So food in that regard is very important. And the second thing I'd say about food and, and new forms of food, of which lab meat and lab fish are, are critical, is that they're directly related to climate change and carbon emissions. And the less farming we have to do, and indeed staple crops, tilling for staple crops, is one of the major forms of feed for animals, uh, which we humans kill for food, uh, if we can start to to change the direction of that value chain, then we're going to have more soil available on the planet for uh, retaining that carbon and starting to move our planet in the right direction. And I, I don't know if you've, you, you've, you've read uh, what I certainly have read some about, but just cows themselves contribute something like 20% of the methane gas on the planet or something like that. It's a very, very high number. So um, I think that this new opportunity that the world is just about to experience in the next you know, 12 to 24 months is the beginning of a major revolution on the planet, similar if not even stronger than what we experienced when we went from the horse and car to the automobile. And, and that's why I'm so excited by it. Now, when we talk about fish and seafood, it's interesting because it's more likely to be approved um, compared to the meat. Because at least in the U.S., you don't have the USDA regulatory authority having to approve it. And you know, there's some strong lobbyists that are attached with the USDA. Um, you just need the FDA to approve it in the U.S. And then the U.S. very often is one of the leading regulatory authorities when it comes to this for other countries. So I'm optimistic that that lab seafood or cultured seafood will be approved uh, sooner rather than later. Certainly, I would say by next year, if not not, um, even by the end of this year. But um, I'm encouraged that as soon as this regulatory approval happens, we're going to see a pretty rapid commercialization because – Technology, which many people understand now, uh, but didn't perhaps 20, 30 years ago, uh, is advancing exponentially fast. And this technology, which includes synthetic biology and molecular science and so on, can can be applied into this alternative protein sector. Um, And it's all advancing. Again, the advances are exponentially fast. So that's why I find it very exciting. I, I believe that. Uh, within eight or nine, 10 years, uh, there won't be much of a reason in the Western countries for people to be buying fish, or frankly, most types of meat in a form other than either cultured meat, cultured fish, or or plant-based. And and I wanna mention plant-based because similarly to the lab meat and lab fish sectors, it's getting better and better. The science is getting better uh, there are uh, uh, precision fermentation companies developing forms of, of yeast, forms of protein uh, based on new ways of sorting molecules that will enhance, you know, as ingredients, enhance the taste, the flavor, the texture, the feel of a lot of the plant-based protein. So that's also going to advance. And, and when you project this out 10 years exponentially, Uh, And when you look also 10 years out, we're going to have, you know, the young people today being the ones who are, um, who are making more choices. Um, It it just seems inevitable that there, there won't be much point um, in, in buying protein uh, in the old fashioned way. Just like once, once you could, could ride in a, in a, in an automobile, why would you go to the back of the horse and cart? We're finding something similar, by the way, with electric vehicles, where, if you can have an electric vehicle that is as fast, if not faster, uh, and as cool, if not cooler than your existing petrol vehicle, and doesn't require you to go to, to spend whatever you're spending, 100 quid a time to, to fill up the tank, yeah, it's just a matter of time before people say, I'm not going to go back to that thing, where I've got to spend all that money every, every week or two weeks to fill it up. Uh, but this is, this is considerably more powerful when it comes to food. And I really believe this will be the thing that helps to change the planet in terms of everything I described earlier with climate change and and uh, the health the health of the human being. It's it's incredibly exciting.
0: I think on the other side of this trade is a uh, is the impact or consequence traditional food companies. Or why are these traditional food producers under such pressure?
1: Well, you know that is something I was going to mention anyway. It's a great point because they depend on volume, right? The margins are relatively thin. And if that volume starts to drop five, 10%, 15%, then they have to raise prices to be able to, I mean, this is just basic economics. They've got to raise prices of their products to remain viable. Now that might be possible for certain, you know, gourmet foods or steak and the like, but when it comes to mincemeat, and comes to uh, more basic, I mean, certainly you would say salmon has got a got a, a pretty high bar, but when it comes to more standard protein, that's a problem. Um, it's a real problem. I mean, look at eggs, for example. That's especially interesting because I, I think there's over 100 large large food producers around the world who have committed to cage-free eggs by 2025. Well, that's going to be difficult to do, even when prices are raised dramatically, just because of the Mere nature of, of supply, um, and so there are alternative protein companies like Clara Foods that have a solution to that, um, which is incredibly exciting and will help allow for the companies that that make egg products, you know, like cakes and cupcakes and uh, you know cheese and I mean the list goes on and on, products that that uh, require eggs. Well, you know that's a relief to the industry that has committed to a cage free egg by twenty twenty five because there are precision fermentation companies out there that are making phenomenal progress that have a solution. So um, again, it, it, uh, it is all happening as we speak. Uh, and, and you can read today almost an announcement, it seems every day or every other day, where I can tell you four years ago when I first started talking about this, I would mention you know, a Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods being a plant-based burger. And uh, saying that this is really the future and people would just, they would just tell me to, you know, shut up. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? I can eat plant-based burgers? Come on, you know, would just no. Um, well, no one's laughing now after Beyond Meat's IPO. Yeah. Um, where I think they got one and a half or two billion on an on, on announcement and then it went up to 10. It just captured the attention of the markets that otherwise wouldn't have really thought about it. So, uh, I, you know, today it's really getting very, very exciting with momentum we're seeing.
0: Talking about uh, the IPA, what's the what what's the fundraising conditions like in uh, this alternative protein market, and how did the uh, credit crunch affect it in, in March twenty twenty? Uh,
1: not at all. Right now, I'm very healthy, very very healthy. Um, there is more demand than supply, so there is more money that is searching for. Um, good opportunities than there are good opportunities and that's interesting having said that because there are a lot of good opportunities i mean there are many um, alternative protein companies i think in our report or our briefing which we put out three four months ago we found there were 250 300 or so alternative protein companies some of them of course are unfunded they're still in the lab they're in a university they haven't been spun out i think uh, most meat which is one of the first uh, companies in the world. It wasn't even a company. I think it was inside the university um, created the the first two hundred fifty thousand dollar hamburger. But now they've gone on to raise you know tens of millions. I think over a hundred million dollars now, and uh, and and they're getting quite a lot of attention. So there is no shortage of money looking for a home when it comes to this sector. Uh, but investors still have to do their due diligence as always. Uh, you know, they're they're. Uh, it's, it's a specialist field. And so um, I would certainly advise, you know, any investors who are interested in it to tread with caution. And by the way, every, almost every, I should say, almost every lab uh, or cultured meat or fish company is a private company today. There are a few that are, that are listed maybe a bit prematurely or they have some plant-based protein as well, but uh, they're mainly private companies. So they will be funded privately. And that's not a problem because the private capital markets are extremely healthy at the moment, extremely healthy. Um, long may it last. We know it won't. OK, crash is coming. Um, newsflash. It, it may not happen for another three years. Could be three months, uh, but it's coming. So when we talk about markets and funding and so on, we must always remember to uh, put that footnote on there that um, it, it ain't going to last forever because it never does. Uh, but it's certainly at the moment, it's certainly a very good time.
0: You mentioned the the markets are healthy. Um, there's also debate that, you know, these private markets also overinflated. Um, is that true within the alternative protein space?
1: Everything's rel- relevant with alternative protein. We have seen it with plant-based meat, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> I can tell you of some corporates we've talked with who are, you know, relatively, I don't want to say desperate, but extremely interested in expanding their portfolio uh, in that in that sector, but they're looking for companies with existing revenue that have been around for a while, and there just there just aren't that many. Um, so uh, this is this is a very exciting time. I think I'm going to come back to the lab meat and lab fish uh, sector because so much of the investor world needs to see it right and touch it first before they'll invest in it. Uh, They just they just need that. Um, You know, it's why we have private markets and public markets. And even within the private markets, you have all different levels of risk. But even when we are so close to regulatory approval, which is inevitable, it's not imminent, but it's inevitable. We are so close to regulatory approval. Even then, you've got this huge wall of money that's just waiting to be released as soon as there is approval. And you think, well, why can't they just come in a little bit earlier? Because if they did, uh, the, the upside would be phenomenal, phenomenal. I mean, you talk about risk-adjusted returns. Um, these are certain, you talk about timing. These are certain moments that, are, that I find super, super exciting because there isn't, we're not breaking the laws of, of physics, right? We're not inventing anything really that that's new. It's just something that takes time to be refined, to be perfected. It's, it's science. It, you know, it's the nature of experimentation, uh, trial and error. And, and you know that you'll get there in the end. Now, just look at what we achieved in one year with vaccines for, for coronavirus. It's amazing. You know, in less than a year, we've got three or four vaccines on the market approved by regulatory authorities. That was unheard of even just five years ago. So the world can do amazing things today. And when you apply that belief, to food and to protein, and you understand what the pro- size of the prize is, which is a, frankly a massive global market, um, it's, it's, it's just a super exciting time, uh, I think, for, for investors who have been able to take a little bit of a deep breath uh, and invest in you know, these lab meat and, uh, and cultured fish uh, companies, and some of the plant-based ones, um, which are still earlier stage. And, uh, and and it's just it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating time, I think, over the next five years to see how this all plays out.
0: You mentioned in your uh, you, you mentioned that in your report, you had around 250, 300 companies. Who are these uh, key innovators and, and why do you like them so much?
1: Well, um, I mentioned one, Clara Foods, uh, yeah. just doing amazing things when it comes to the egg and the proteins in the egg. Uh, Blue Nalu. Uh, we love, as a company, it's a privately held company based in San Diego that um, is doing amazing things with uh, with lapped fish and seafood, uh, focusing on uh, bluefin tuna to start with. Um, we really like Future Meat Technologies in Israel and how quickly they're developing now. I remember talking to Ram, who had just been appointed as CEO, must have been three years ago, four years ago. He'd just been appointed. It was seen as a laboratory company and uh, he was just kind of getting into the discussion series a discussions with his investors and today it's you know it's announcing something new every week or two about how quickly that they're getting the cost down in this case of chicken black chicken costs are plummeting um, so that's another company that we really like uh, most of meats you will have heard about it's in the news. Now, quite a lot. It's, it's, it's raised significant amounts of capital. It's also progressing very well. Memphis, Memphis Meats is the one that's probably been around in the public eye for the longest and possibly raised the most amount of capital. And, uh, and for that reason, one to keep uh, keep an eye on. Um, there's Gathered Foods, um, Live Kindly. So many of them you okay. know, are, are really, really interesting.
0: Carry on from this capital markets perspective. Uh, do you think that there will be a rotation out of uh, growth uh, investor growth companies and um, so there's
1: always this growth versus value argument certainly we you know we get it in business school and in uh, finance courses and I, I think those days are over um, we, we in fact published a research report last August which went into Forbes and uh, some other you know other uh, uh, publications and we claimed that The technology companies, the growth companies are the new value companies. So if you're looking for value, you've got to be in tech because anything that's not tech is going to start to become irrelevant or go stagnant, if not just wither away. So the old idea behind growth and value was that when valuations in the market uh, have gone lower on a multiple basis, it's a good time to increase your exposure to those positions that are, you know, just valued lower on a multiple basis so that they'll they'll grow um, as, as we have the markets rising. And the problem with that argument today is if you're putting your funds into a traditional incumbent company, which is under great threat from disruptive companies, from technology companies, then they're not gonna grow much regardless of market conditions. Whereas a technology company or technology enabled company like Walmart, Walmart is still a gigantic bricks and mortar retailer in the U S but it's also got a phenomenal walmart.com website and many other elements of digitization. And it's also got plans for creating uh, let's say more experiences in its stores through technology. Uh, So as long as the company is fully technology enabled, then uh, then that's, that's the new value because those companies can grow. As the world becomes more digital, the companies that are digital, the companies that are tech, the companies that you know are scientific in, in nature that are taking advantage of technology advances, are where you want to have your money long term. Um, as opposed to the the value plays, which you might find in natural resources or mining or construction or you know you name it, um, they're you know they're more at risk. They're more at risk because they may not ever recover. And uh, in our study, we went back 20 years and 30 years. And we looked at even after the dot-com boom in 2000, where we thought, "Ah, you know, we won't see those kind of numbers again. You know, we thought that in 2003, 2004, sure enough, we did see those numbers again. And now we've blown through them because of the exponential forces of technology are going to continue to carry companies in that direction. And this is something you may hear from Kathy Wood of of ARC, where she makes the case for Tesla being uh, you know potentially underpriced at six hundred dollars a share. Well, that's the view. Is that our entire world, our entire economy, is becoming uh, uh, techified, digitized, everything, everything? And so, why would you have your capital anywhere else? That's going to become the question for the next five or ten years. Now, I'm talking long term, not as a trader, right? If you're date, if you're trading month in month out, or even Year year to year, that's a different argument. This is not trading; this is investing. If you're looking to invest your capital, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, then there, there there's no reason, absolutely no reason, on a long-term basis, to put your capital anywhere else than in the techified economy, the companies that are that are truly uh, seeing the vision of the world uh as it as it is which is growing exponentially with technology
0: awesome and um, i forgot to mention in the beginning people can go uh read your book um if you'd like to just explain a little bit more about that
1: yeah so um there it is go tech or go extinct um it's a book that i took a couple of years to write as i was interviewing c-suite executives at over 350 european companies large companies about their plans for inorganic innovation. How do they look outside their own company to, to avoid being disrupted and decided to, to write about the experience. And uh, there is a, t- a chapter on there on techquisition, but it's not just about techquisition. It's it's about uh, how all industries really need to think about adapting to this new world. And if not, then it's probably time to exit. Um, otherwise you risk going extinct like Blockbuster and Go-Back yeah. and Toys R Us and the others. So, yeah um it's doing pretty well on amazon now i think it has over 50 five-star reviews so yeah it's awesome. doing pretty well
0: well paul i think we'll end off on that note <laughs>